Welcome to another edition of CFA Institute's Take 15 series. My name is Dave Larrabee, and I'm joined today by Matthew McLennan. Matt's a CFA charter holder and heads up the Global Value Group at First Eagle Investment Management. Matt's widely recognized as a leading value investor, and he's with us today to share some thoughts on the discipline. Matt, welcome, and thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Your firm seems to take a traditional Graham and Dodd approach, focusing on the margin of safety principle. Uh, if you would, walk us through your investing process and maybe share with us how your firm defines and uncovers undervalued stocks. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the primary objective for us whenever we look at an investment is first and foremost to avoid the impairment of capital. And when you look at the uh, world of investing through that prism, when your goal is to preserve purchasing power over time, it becomes obvious that you need a margin of safety uh, before you make any investment. Uh, most people have, I think, somewhat confused goals of investing. They're looking for short-term relative returns, they're focused on tracking error, or all sorts of other metrics that skirt around what we think is the essential goal of investing, which is to, number one, preserve capital, and number two, to grow purchasing power over time. And so for us, when we look at a business, uh, we're trying to find a business that embodies a margin of safety in price, first and foremost. That's the objective component of any investment. Uh, and then beyond price, uh, we're very focused on a broader margin of safety that would encompass variables such as capital structure integrity, uh, management behavior, and the business model soundness and resilience. And so we look at margin of safety uh, in a holistic sense. And in order to execute uh, on a margin of safety approach, you have to be very flexible. You have to be willing to look quite different from the market as a whole. Uh, sometimes big sectors of the market do not embody a margin of safety, such as Japan in the late 80s or tech in the late 90s or financials in 2007 and 2008. So sometimes you have to be willing to be short social acceptance, if you will, and be out of large sectors of the market mm -hmm. in order to own the least worst securities. And uh, I think finally, uh, one of the things that's critical to our approach to investing is you have to be more patient than the typical market participant. We have an average holding period of over five years. If you're trying to source ideas, some sense of time horizon that's beyond that of the market is a huge competitive advantage. Uh, we like to plant seeds and watch the trees grow. And, and so patience for us gives us access to an opportunity set that's quite different from most. Mm -hmm. Over the past year, there's been a lot of talk about a new normal economy mm -hmm. in which growth is stunted by a prolonged period of deleveraging, increased regulation. Uh, do you subscribe to this view? And if we are in for a prolonged period of, of slow growth, uh, what would that mean uh, for equity investors? Do we need to ratchet down our return expectations mm -hmm. here? Well, there's two things to consider. One is what's happening in the world today, and then the second is what's the investment consequence. In terms of what's happening, it's fair to say that there have been some structural forces at work. Uh, in the wake of a financial crisis, uh, the work of Rogoff and Reinhardt has shown that often the economic bounce is a little slower than you would expect given the depth of the crisis, uh, just given the fact that it takes a long time for the confidence to heal. Um, the second thing, and I think it was pre-existing before the financial crisis actually occurred, is that we live in a world today where a big sector of the world economy is becoming less labor-intensive, and that's manufacturing. Uh, manufacturing uh, is becoming less labor-intensive because of the proliferation of technology. That increase in manufacturing productivity means that less people are needed uh, to work in that sector. Um, that's a deflationary force uh, in and of itself. Mm -hmm. 
And thirdly, uh, we have, from a financial architecture standpoint, uh, a world economic backdrop whereby there are many countries that are committed to uh, accumulating reserves, and the dollar reserves is the primary source of reserves. Mm -hmm. um, for these countries that are accumulating reserves, they need to be running current account surpluses. That means deficits for the United States. Again, a deflationary reality. So these things have been keeping a lid on growth to a certain extent uh, in the United States. But one has to disentangle what's happening with top-line GDP growth uh, from the investment prospects. When we think about the prospects for investing in equities, the two most important components are price and productivity, or margins. Mm -hmm. And despite the fact that we've seen a period of fairly sluggish growth here over the last 18 months, equities have performed quite well. For the simple reason that the starting valuation at the bottom of the, of the business cycle here in March of 2009 was very low. And as corporations adjusted to their new reality, margins have improved dramatically. And so for us, the link between GDP growth and equity investment performance is tenuous at best in the short term. Uh, over the longer term, there's obviously an important linkage there, but it's dominated over our time horizon of five, six, seven years by movements in valuation and movements in margin structure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, for some time now, your portfolios have held a significant position in gold uh, and or gold stocks. Uh, is that a portfolio hedged, or are you that keen on the return prospects for gold with the metal here at roughly $1,300 an ounce? Well, when you look at gold in our portfolios, you're right to ask that pivotal question. We do not own gold because we have a directional view on gold. Uh, gold is owned in our portfolios as a source of ballast. And simply put, gold we view as nature's currency. It's something that's scarce and cannot be printed. And so if you think about the value of something like gold over time, um, its value is going to um, vary somewhat inversely to confidence confidence in the man-made system, that is. And so if you look back to periods like the late 20s or the late 60s or the late 90s, when people had great faith uh, in the economic architecture and stock prices were high and economic activity was strong, gold was quite depressed relative to equity prices. Gold was quite depressed relative to personal incomes. But when confidence in the financial architecture broke, such as in the early 30s or in the early 80s or more recently uh, after the financial crisis, Gold did very well relative to equities and relative to personal incomes. And so it has behaved historically essentially as the reciprocal of confidence. And when you look at our portfolio overall, which is approximately 75% invested in equities, we see gold as a counterbalance or a source of ballast to a portfolio that essentially is investing across the world um, insecurities that are going to be sensitive to uh, the confidence in the systemic architecture. So don't view gold as us betting um, that is going to 2,000 an ounce. We don't have any idea. Uh, if we knew uh, what was going to happen in the world, we either wouldn't need the gold or we wouldn't need the stocks. Exactly. Uh, you do manage a global portfolio and emerging markets have had a pretty nice run of late. Mm -hmm. uh, are there still opportunities out there in the emerging markets for value investors? It's more challenging. I think if you uh, revert to the comment I made earlier about the tenuous link between GDP growth and, and equity returns, I think you have to acknowledge that there's a great deal of thematic investment that's gone on in the emerging markets arena. Many people piling into the bricks, mm. uh, trying to uh, get long the new economy, if you will. In some ways analogous to what happened in the late 90s when people wanted to own technology because that was the perceived source of the growth. 
technology investments in the late 90s weren't necessarily great investments. Even though many of those companies grew over the next decade, the price that was paid was wrong. Now, the emerging markets today are not as expensively valued as technology stocks were in the late 90s, but for us as value investors who are looking for a margin of safety and price, who are looking for conservative management teams, who are looking for you know, balance sheets with a lot of um, muscle, it's been difficult for us to find opportunities in some of the hotter emerging markets like China or India. Uh, doesn't mean there won't be great opportunities in the future, but we've frankly found more opportunities investing indirectly in the emerging markets. For example, we've owned big positions in Japanese industrials um, that own the intellectual property that China and India need for their factory floors tomorrow. They've been beneficiaries of this recovery, and they've been cheaper securities with no debt and conservative management teams. If you can own securities that will benefit from the growth in emerging markets without necessarily having to pay a premium or having a, you know, the risks of an expeditionary management team, sometimes that's the way to approach the emerging markets with a margin of safety. But over the long term, we will be willing to invest directly. We do have investments, but we'll keep the same underwriting principles that we keep for the portfolio as a whole rather than just investing thematically in one asset class. Mm -hmm. Matt, what do you see as the greatest risks out there in the equity markets today? Well, I think uh, when you look at the equity markets today, it's fair to say that from a broad valuation backdrop, that the valuation is not as extreme as the other times that we've seen over the last generation. Um, it's certainly not a bubble-like environment for equities as a whole, but nor is it a bargain uh, environment. So we're in this in-between zone mm -hmm. uh, in terms of valuations. I think one of the things that's been a favorable backdrop for equities in general is that we're on the underbelly of the economic cycle, if you will, and we prefer to be buyers of businesses when the, the economy around the world is below its potential, not above its potential. And so when you think about the vulnerabilities that have occurred in the equity markets over the last generation that I mentioned before, Japan, tech, financials, they tended to come apart, if you will, at the end of an economic cycle. And so for us, when we see areas out there right now, there's nothing um, that we would say um, is an obvious short to us um, because valuations as a whole are not extreme. But we are, as I mentioned, finding it difficult uh, to find opportunities in some of the hotter emerging markets. Um, that's, that's a challenge for us. And I think the other area that's been difficult for us because we allocate across the capital structure um, is that you know, for many of the long-dated government bonds that exist, uh, we find it difficult to find a margin of safety in their very low yields today. So uh, I would say to you, the areas that we're a little sensitive to or where there are acts of omission in our portfolio are some of those hot emerging markets and some of the longer dated government bond markets. Okay. Well, Matt, thanks very much for sharing your insights with us today. And thank you for watching another Take 15 from CFA Institute. Copyright 2011, CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.